Welcome to the Cinema Rack, where we celebrate the greatest and worst in Hollywood films and their most self-indulgent narcissistic actors, directors, and producers. Here, we will laud and malign Hollywood's seedier elements with levity and humor. They love cinema as much as anyone does. They've been talking about it for over 30 years. Time to get trashy. Here's Gregory and May. Hello, everybody. This is Gregory, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Rag. I hope you're doing well today. Today, we're going to talk about Wes Anderson on the heels of the release of Asteroid City on Peacock. Now, Asteroid City has been out for quite some time in America, but I am not going to spend a dime to ever see a Wes Anderson movie in the theaters. So I was waiting with, quote, bated breath, close quote, for it to fall on a streaming service. And it finally dropped on Peacock. So if you have Peacock, which maybe if you like English Premier Soccer, you might have Peacock just for that. But if you have Peacock and you are either a lover of Wes Anderson movies, which then I have to question your sanity, or you just want to see this movie for its unique visual prowess, then it's on Peacock. Now, what's my history with, before I review Asteroid City, what's my history with Wes? For me, it goes back to, I don't think I saw Bottle Rocket when it was on the theaters, but certainly with Rushmore, I was in, I think Graduate School and Rushmore came out, and then the follow-up to that was Royal Ten of Moms, and that probably was his biggest movie. I know Grand Budapest made the most money and had the Academy Award consideration, but I think in terms of Wes Anderson and the zeitgeist, I think it was Tannenbaum, because Tannenbaum had a stacked stacked cast if you look at about about in the early 2000s it had stiller both wilson's peak paltrow hackman angelica houston bill murray you know bill murray's in a lot of his movies and i think that movie was was kind of the go-to rubric or peak in retrospect of of a Wes Anderson movie. And it's kind of like what I when I focus on on the Emperor Has No Clothes series here, whether it be J-Lo or Bateman or McConaughey or Rebel Wilson or Jonah Hill. It's when we see these people early on, we think, oh my God, this is a revelation. But the more movies that they do, you realize, oh, this is their one gear. And so it becomes less impressive with time but when you go back to that first one, you still think, oh, wow, they're great. They're really gifted. And, and really, in fact, they only have one gear. And so when Tannenbaum came out, Tannenbaum's essentially the, the triple platinum album, if you want to use music sales. It's like Bottle Rocket was a nice debut album. It had one moderately successful single. Rushmore goes platinum, has maybe three top 50 singles. And then Tannenbaum is the triple platinum top number one record uh, song off that album. And then after that, it's like they're just running on the fumes of this great work. And I could say that about Anderson because Tannenbaum is probably, if I have to say, my favorite Wes Anderson movie, which is just tough to say in general. I guess it'd be Tannenbaum simply because I was I was at that age of those characters in Tannenbaum. So I can relate to it. And at this point, we didn't have, what, six subsequent movies to remind us that Wes Anderson is a one-trick pony. 
So if we could do an emperor has no clothes for a director, I mean, there, there could be a lot of directors we could put on this. But in short, and May and I have, have, I think, tangentially talked about Wes Anderson here and there just through our Wednesday hookups. I can't stand his movies. I literally cannot stand his movies. Now, Wes Anderson is similar to, I think, Noah Baumbach in abstract art in that if you talk trash about these things, people think you're some obscurantist Philistine. You have no taste. How can you not see the brilliance of cubism? How can you not see the brilliance of Jackson Pollock's action paintings? How can you not see the brilliance of pop art? So they make you feel like the idiot when you're the emperor has no clothes and you're like, this stuff is garbage. I could paint this. And if I can paint it, then it's not a masterpiece. But the docents at the art museums or anyone who says they like art, you ask them, hey, what's your favorite period of art? And most people think they like art. They only know modern art. They're not going to say, you know what? It's mannerism. I'm a big fan of Parmigianino and Titian from late 1500s. They're not going to say that. They don't know art. But it's the cool thing to say, to say that you like modern art. And if you're like, modern art is garbage, everybody looks at you like you're from a, you're an alien from another planet. And it's the same thing about these elitist Manhattanite type directors. And it's not a surprise that Bombach's friends with Wes Anderson. It's not a surprise. These are all the same type of douchebag people that hang out in a salon, like it's the philosoph of the late 18th century, sitting in some salon, talking about politics and history and current events and culture. And it's just the, the literati, cognoscenti, insufferable intelligentsia. And this is what these guys remind me of. And then when I, when I see his movies, it's the same thing. It's the same type of people who like the Wes Anderson movies are these types of people. Kind of the type of people that you saw in Squid and the Whale, Bombach, his parents. His parents, if you've ever seen that movie. It's these, these super elitist, Upper East Side, Manhattanite types that like their Wes Anderson movies. And when they drop, they're like, oh, masterpiece, masterpiece. Or it's like the nerdy USC, NYU film school geek who really likes the Wes Anderson movies. That's it. Middle America looks at these movies and thinks this, this is just absolute pretentious garbage that's trying to be cute and quirky. And that's the thing. When you watch Tannenbaum and when you watch Moonrise Kingdom, Budapest Hotel, you know, whatever it is, it's, it, you see through Wes Anderson. And I get it. Like, let me be fair. Does he have qualities that are laudatory? Yes. I think how he puts you in a world whether it be in Life Aquatic, which I think does have cute moments. Like all his movies, really Asteroid City to me didn't have any cute moments at all, but a lot of his movies are just kind of cute in that like I'm a 14 year old cute. Let's take a break. I wanted to let you know about some of the other feeds here at the Eclectico Gregorio. The oldest one we have is The Awakened Man, which mostly deals with holistic health, medical cover-ups, ways to biohack your life, to ensure longer longevity, medical conspiracies, and naturopathic stuff. We also have, and that there's probably about 400, 500 episodes over there. We started that one back in 20, 
17, 2016, I believe. We also have the Female Holistic Health Apothecary, which originally started as an essential oils feed. And there's about 100 episodes on essential oils, particular essential oils like rose and lavender and sandalwood and so forth. And then later I morphed it into more topics that are regarded for female health, female specific. We've had that feed also since 2016. And then lastly, we have Confessions of an Obese Child, which deals with my childhood obesity and trauma that came from it. So it's a great feed for those who dealt with childhood trauma that led you to have addictions to alcohol or food. And I interviewed several people and what it was like to grow up overweight and all the difficulties of losing the weight and then keeping it off and trying to metamorphosize into a regular weighted person. So check out those feeds at the Eclectical Gregory on Apple or Spotify. They can be whimsical and so forth. But the credit I'll give to Anderson is that he puts you in a world. He puts you in a period very well. And a lot of these periods, of course, don't exist, right? They just Even like something like Grand Budapest Hotel, Moonrise Kingdom, Asteroid City, all these are like in a world that you could say, oh, okay, this takes place in this year or this period. But it's not like a real world, right? It's, it's this world in his head. But I'll give him credit. He puts you in a world. And I think his, in putting you in a world, his, his set designs are unique. And I talked about this in my, my treatment on Barbie. It's very unique. And I will give him credit for that. I will give him credit for putting you in a world. And I will give him credit in that on occasion, he'll get good performances out of his actors. But the problem, I think, with Wes Anderson dialogue that is that it is intentionally deadpan. It's intentionally kind of sardonic. It's intentionally soulless. So when people are doing their dialogue in these movies... First of all, you know, the vocabulary is always going to be top-notch because that's just that's just his milieu. That's that's his ethos. That's what he grew up in. But the way that they deliver the dialogue in itself is insufferable. It it rarely ever lacks... It, it lacks emotion and doesn't really have a lot of passion. And people in the real world don't talk like that. And maybe that's the intention of, of Anderson in his movies is that nobody talks like this. Just kind of the deadpan acting that people do. But his movies are inseparable because they're pretentious. You can smell the pretension in his movies. And look, you could say something about Whit Stillman's works, like Last Days of Disco, Barcelona, Metropolitan. They kind of had that. And there's other actors that definitely put you in that. Some of the French New Wave cinema directors, like they, they put you in a world where you know it's just a bunch of snobs. But the thing about Wes Anderson is that I think there's there is a certain segment of the population that loves his movies. And I just, it's like one of those litmus tests when I meet people. Like when you meet a guy, they think, they say there's three commonalities you can always bond with a guy. It's like talk about women, talk about classic rock, talk about sports. And if you meet a guy who can't talk about those things or doesn't know one of those things, you kind of look at them strangely. It's the same thing. Like it's almost a litmus test. If I walk up to somebody who says they like movies, hey, what do you think of Wes Anderson movies? If they like them or they just are so exuberant when talking about them, it's like, I need to walk away. I just have no respect for you if you really think Wes Anderson movies are good. They're unique. I will give him credit. They are unique movies 
but they're garbage. They are absolute garbage. And look, maybe I haven't been this passionate talking about a movie since I, I did the treatment on everything, everywhere, all at once. The worst best picture winner of the last 50 years. I get pretty heated in that one. But he's just so overrated. He's exceedingly overrated. Asteroid City, again, it's on Peacock, has a lot of the, 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 the classic Anderson tropes. It puts you in a unique world. It takes place in 1955 uh, desert. And all these people are convening for essentially a, a, a convention. And so you have kids showing up who are going to get awards for their, their, their inventions. Their parents are showing up. There's cowboys there. There's uh, just a bunch of people showing up. And then an alien arrives midway through it. And then, you know, things happen. I'm not going to really spoil it for you if you want to see this movie. And also, the movie is really based on a play. So the movie is coming from the mind of the playwright, who's played by Ed Norton. And so at the end, you realize, actually at the beginning, you realize it's a play and that they're showing you what this play looks like. And the play itself is Asteroid City. But either way, I mean, it's pretty easy to follow that. But in the movie, it's the same thing. There's like every scene is like a diorama. It literally looks like a diorama. And again, the color is very unique. And it's just, it's typical Anderson. So you got Jason Schwartzman and Scar Joe are essentially the two leads where we're supposed to believe that they fall in love with each other. And Schwartzman, my God, is there anyone who's had a career based on one director more than Jason Schwartzman? This guy. I hate to say he's not that talented. I would say he doesn't have any talent. But going back to Rushmore, going back to Rushmore, pretty much every movie this guy's in is going to be an Anderson joint. And he keeps putting him in his movies. And then look, I get it. Anderson likes to have the same six people in all of his movies. Bill Murray, for example. Owen Wilson used to be in a lot of his early works. Uh, and actually co-wrote many of his early works. And you'll see Tilda Swinton in a lot of his works. You know, he'll pick a lot of the same people to be in his movies. Okay, that's fine. But we don't need to put Schwartzman as the lead in 2023 when he hasn't had a career in, I don't know, 15, 20 years? And Scar Jo's in there and she plays a movie star. And look, when she first showed up on the on the screen, I thought it was Annette Benning circa 1994. She looks just like Annette Benning. She's got Annette Benning hair. Then you got Steve Carell. Tom Hanks is in. I think this is Tom Hanks' first Wes Anderson movie. He's in it. And he plays the father of Jason Schwartzman, who has got four kids, and he's He's got to pick them up because the car the car breaks down in Asteroid City. And so that's why he shows up to pick up the kids. And he's not doing anything special. And everybody in it, it's the same. Whether it be the teenagers or anybody in it, it's the same Wes Anderson dialogue. Quirky, trying to be cute, but really wooden. And then they have like a music sequence. And it's just, it's so stupid. It is such a stupid movie. And I think even some of Wes Anderson fans wouldn't even like this movie. Ones who really like supported him and, and defended Royal Tenenbaum or, or defended Grand Budapest or even Moonrise Kingdom or the Fantastic Mr. Fox. They're like, they come to this, they're like, I can't, Anderson, man, just 
either go back to, to Rushmore, Bottle Rocket time, Tannenbaum time, your first three movies, or just maybe just stop making movies. Or how about this, Anderson? Just go do like an action IP movie. I, I want to see if you have talent that's outside of the talent of the world, I should say, that you write and direct. But he won't do that because that's not who he is. He likes to do these, I guess, you, vignettes. He likes to do these movies where he controls every aspect of it. And I get it, right? He's a director. He's a writer. He wants to control every aspect. No different than Christopher Nolan or Tarantino. I understand that. It's just, look, I, I guess I could say in humility, Wes Anderson movies are not for me. They're not for me. And I would hazard to guess they're not for the large majority of Americans aside for the aforementioned, the intelligentsia snobs on the coasts in the pockets of them in big cities throughout the United States and then film school geeks. Everyone else watches these movies and it's like this stuff is just pretentious garbage. Like when you see an abstract sculpture somewhere in some big city in some park, and they always give it stupid names like Wind Number Four. Every time I see that stuff, I always call it Garbage Number Four. In Wes Anderson works, albeit like there's moments where I like it. There's moments, of course, I like little moments of Tenenbaum and Rushmore and and Life Aquatic. And, and there's gonna be moments, but overall, I think his movies are just so bad. They're just so bad. Oh my God, they're horrible. Okay, so here's your chance. Post a comment on Spotify. Spotify is like YouTube where you can post comments. Let me know if you like his movies or not. You think I'm way off base? Let me know. Let me know. You can also post something at the Cinema Rack Facebook group. You can post something over there. Please rate and review. If you think, Gregory, you're an idiot. Wes Anderson is a genius. All right, put that in uh, in an Apple or in an Apple review. I really like to hear it because it just helps with the algorithm. Please, I'd like to hear your insight. There's two links in the episode notes. One's for PayPal and the other one is for the Eclectical Gregorio website, which hosts all my four feeds. But the best way to listen to these things is on Apple and Spotify or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Until next time, take care. God bless and pray. Thanks for listening to The Cinema Rag. Please post an honest review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Check out the episode notes to visit our website and to make a donation. Lastly, follow the rag today. Until next time.